This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry. Hello and welcome to the Real Health Podcast in association with Leia Healthcare with me, Carl Henry. Folks, I hope you're having a wonderful week so far and applying all the tips and tricks and tools from our last episode of the podcast. On this week's show, I have, to be honest, one of the topics I've been wanting to cover since we started the podcast uh, nearly a year and a half ago. It's incredibly topical, it's incredibly uh, prevalent all around Ireland, and it's incredibly important uh, to discuss it and open up the discussion around it. And I am super, you can tell by my voice, I'm super, super excited. Um, On this week's show, I'm joined by David Nolan of Synapse Performance. He's the head of performance for the Rugby Academy of Ireland, head coach and educator at Synapse Performance, hosting his own podcast, the Synapse Performance Podcast. And he's also, as if that wasn't enough, uh, a PhD student in applied sports sciences in the amazing uh, the university that is DCU in the sports science department there. Take a deep breath, David. That was a serious <laughs> introduction. How's it going? Very well. Thank you very much. I'm honoured to be here today. Honestly, thank, thank you so much for coming in. Um, folks, the topic that I wanted to chat about to start with with David is uh, the whole area and world of steroids mm. and steroids in Ireland uh, across all age levels, across all sports, um, at, at different levels of sports. How prevalent is it? Yeah, so I suppose I'd always like to preface this kind of conversation because it's always a contentious yeah, issue. So, first of all, I myself am a drug-tested athlete in Irish Powerlifting Federation. I've never used anabolic steroids. But anything I know is from reading the literature, being involved in the Irish fitness industry and the Irish strength and conditioning industry, and then I have friends, especially in the UK, that are doing PhDs in this area around steroid use. So, in terms of prevalence, anecdotally... I think it's highly prevalent in Ireland because of the illicit nature of steroid use, it's very hard to gauge actually how many people use it. And even if we go some by some of the indirect measures, we have recent anonymous surveys looking at use in underage athletes. But the problem with, under, with anonymous surveys is we know from research looking at these type of studies that even if you know it's anonymous, people still underreport their activities in illicit activities if it's illegal. So even though people, a certain amount of people are admitting to it, we still know that they're probably underreporting it. So if we look at some of the indirect measures, I think in 2015, 2016, there was nearly half a million doses of steroids confiscated by Angarda Shiakana. So that's kind of an idea of the amount of steroids that are coming in. In, in one year? In one year. So that's just, just what is being confiscated. I think anyone that is within the Irish fitness industry can see it, it's highly prevalent. You go into any gym around the country and you can pretty quickly see at least two or three guys and increasingly we see women using performance enhancing drugs as well. So in sports, it's always going to be prevalent to some degree. And we know that across, we can see the work that people are doing in anti-doping. So in elite performance sport, where there's high 
risks or high stakes, I should say, and a lot of money, you're going to see people trying to cheat the system. That's inevitable. And that's statistically across all sports, there's going to be people. But where I think the biggest issue within Ireland is just the recreational gym user. We see people that it's not to perform better at their sport. They simply want to look a bit better and kind of have this instant gratification. So they're not you know, spending six months a year to get the results in the gym. They want it quicker, faster. And why that is, be it social media, be it kind of distorted body dysmorphia from a young age, I'm not too sure. But anecdotally, I think we see high prevalence in recreational gym users in Ireland. And how easy uh, can people get them? I remember watching the RT documentary, mm. uh, I think it was last year uh, when it was on in prime time, and I was blown away by they had an undercover reporter going in to buy stuff and they had another guy in the gym buying stuff. And it was just like, uh, as much as I'm in the fitness industry, uh, I suppose the, the the segments that I am in in terms of as, as a brand, about on a personal level, mm. wouldn't be high performance. It wouldn't be bodybuilding. It wouldn't. It just doesn't float my boat. Yeah. I, I, I'm fascinated by it. Um, and grew up around uh, my mum my had a, a cheese business we supply all the bodybuilding gyms with yeah. healthy cheese products and stuff so I know it but as a, I, I don't work in it but I was blown away by just how easy it is for people to get them do you think it really is that easy? I think so and again I'm probably coming from a biased perspective as well because I'm in this quote unquote evidence based yeah. sphere where it generally leans towards kind of natural athletes so my perspective probably biased but I even know talking to guys and we see a lot of people in the industry and they're afraid to talk about this because they think it'll have them negatively associated with steroids but the reality is the physiology of them is quite interesting but also people are going to take them anyway so I think we should have this open discussion about it and at least educate people as best we can but I know from within my own circle just talking to people on gym floors around the place they're quite easily accessible now and couple of years ago, I think one of the barriers for entry for younger people was just the cost of steroids. But I've heard of people and um, they can get steroids quite, quite cheaply. And I've heard people shopping around to get the best value, which from my perspective, if you are going to <laughs> make that transition and take anabolic steroids, I wouldn't necessarily be trying to find who's selling them the cheapest to me. You're not going to the bargain basement <laughs> yeah. product because, of course, there's no regulatory industry. So mm. there's no no one is saying that this is, a, a, a you know, like a... Um, like a, a quality mark mm. product or a, or standardized product, it could be absolutely anything that the people are taking. And and that's the problem. Like when it comes to anabolic steroid use, I have very liberal views. If you are a consenting adult, you understand the risks, and you're not in a drug tested sport where you are cheating other people. If you're just doing it for your own reasons or you're in a untested sport, then fine. You're a consenting adult, go ahead and do it. But the problem is because of the stigma around it, and I think even some of the meshes, anti-steroid meshes out there, we're using scare tactics where mm -hmm. we've tried it with alcohol, we've tried it with cigarettes. Just knowing the dangers of something doesn't stop people taking them. If you look at nurses and doctors or some of the highest smokers we see across industry. So I think we need to take a different tact and understand that people are going to use them. So there is a way to, quote unquote, minimize risks like there's always going to be negative effects to them but if we know that people are going to take them we might as well educate them and try minimize any risk that people are going to have and as you say there's no quality assurance most of these are made in underground labs or so that is people illegally making them or shipping them in from uh, internationally trying to get them through borders and like that there's no quality assurance check you don't know what's in them we can just look into the literature and we cases of people getting infections kind of going gangrenous losing limbs potentially on the extreme end of stuff so there is that potential that you literally do not know what you are and people forget like a lot of people 
you have to inject it. Most of yes, there's oral steroids, but a lot of people are injecting. So you're literally getting a needle, a syringe, filling with something that you don't know what it really is and injecting that into yourself. So that's that's a big risk that I think a lot of people shouldn't be willing to take just to look a bit better. For the Instagram, the Instagram selfie body. Yeah. And like I've talked to people at the elite level, there's a couple of um, sports scientists and very well-known, very respected people in the industry who are open about their own steroid use. But even talking to some of these guys who have PhDs in this area, understand the pharmacology, they themselves have made the argument. And we, t- I remember talking to one and I was like, if a young guy comes to me and says, look, I want to go on steroids, what, what do I say to him? What do I talk about? And he's like, first of all, he's like, tell him to go away for six months, think about it, And if he still wants to do it at the end of it, have this conversation. He himself competed as a natural bodybuilder for 10 years and got to his genetic potential essentially and then at that stage he realized if I go enhanced I have the potential to be the best there ever was and at that stage he made the decision I know what the health consequences are going to be but I'm prepared to make that decision and he's like at that stage I was in my 30s I was much more comfortable who I was as a person and I was informed and made an informed decision to make that transition because Talking, I have a good friend in the UK, Alex Clary Turner's his name, he's doing a PhD out of the University of Brighton in steroid use and its effect on muscle memory that's uh, funded by WADA. So he was, we were chatting one day and he made a very prevalent point that a lot of guys just psychologically aren't prepared to go on steroids because the simple thing is steroids do what they're supposed to do extremely well. Like we have research that shows you can take steroids and increase your strength muscle mass without training. We have shown that, and the problem is there's very little little research on the effect of anabolic steroids because you won't get an ethics committee. If I say, I want to take this group of people and put them (laughs) on steroids, ethics committee's like, no. So a lot of the research is done back in the 70s and 80s when ethics were a bit kind of easier to get around. And any of the research nowadays, it has to be current steroid users come forward and uh, volunteer, say, their muscle samples or whatever it may be. But we have research shown that even small conservative doses are very effective, that they, over, I think, six or seven weeks, led to similar increases in strength and muscle mass than the group who trained naturally for that six or seven weeks. So the fact is, they do what they're supposed to. If you have good quality anabolic steroids, which should be pharmaceutically, not uh, produced, not in an underground lab, they work extremely effectively. So the problem is, if you talk to any of these pharmacologists who understand steroids, if you are to minimize the risk of any negative health effects, you'll never negate them. But if you're to minimize any risks, you have to use small, appropriate, conservative doses of the proper steroid and then use them in cycles where you use them for a period, you come off. But the problem is, since they are so effective, If you are not psychologically prepared, what can happen is you go on a course of steroids. You literally for three or four months, whatever, maybe 12, 16 weeks, you have the best training you've ever had. You see rapid increases in strength, muscle mass, recovery. You literally turn into Superman for a couple of months. Now it comes to time that you have to cycle off for the same period. So if you're not psychologically ready that, okay, I've been superhuman essentially for a couple of months, now I have to go back off and go back to be, quote unquote, a normal human being where I won't be as strong. I'll get a bit smaller. I won't recover. I just can't do what I was doing. A lot of guys psychologically can't handle that. And that's where we see guys who do not cycle off, do not use post-cycle therapy. They end up in this kind of cycle of constant steroid use, abusing it with doses that are too high, that they um, turn off 
their own testosterone production and then down that's where you lead down the line to chronic um, steroid abuse which can lead to infertility can lead to hypogonadism where you just don't produce your own um, sex hormones anymore and can lead to all these kind of negative effects and the research especially from my perspective if anyone was ever considering it we don't know the long-term effects on cognition actual whether it changes brain chemistry or anything like that so those are the main things that people need to consider so if you are a young person you're probably not in the right mental state to be able to be objective with your own steroid use if that is something you want to consider using so the reason people take them predominantly is vanity a lot of mm. the time um but in yeah. terms of uh and you mentioned a few of them there in terms of other reasons so you're basically looking at recovery mm. strength gains yeah. uh, mass gains in terms of size being able to train harder for longer yeah, so you'll often hear the people who are usually they're pro-steroid, they're like, oh, it doesn't give you that much advantage, it just allows you to train a bit more, where we know it causes increases in muscle growth, so it allows you to get higher levels of muscle mass. It does have uh, direct increases in strength, but that's not so much through the muscle function, there's potential neurological um, ways of increasing strength, but essentially it allows you to build more proteins, more actinomycin in the um, muscle, build more muscle mass. You also increase myonuclei density and over time you get to be a bigger human, basically bigger muscle mass with a bigger potential for strength gains. So if you are competing in something like powerlifting, bodybuilding, that's going to be a big advantage. In other sports where relative strength, your strength towards your body weight is more important, its advantage is kind of a little bit murky so if it's a sport that just relies on absolute strength and power then steroid use is going to be um beneficial to you but as you said i'm not a psychologist i'm not going to sit here and course, yeah. try to uh, guess why people use them just multifaceted but i think anecdotally a lot of guys are just getting on them because the barrier to entry now is much lower than it has been before we have this social media aspect where people's um, perception of what aesthetically is pleasing and is realistic is very distorted and um, people just want this instant gratification now because I've talked to several young guys who are on steroids and I asked them why they went on like just wasn't getting the results you know I wasn't whatever and then I look at their training nutrition and it's it's crap I was like you don't understand the basic principles of training as like if you actually just trained properly it's like the problem isn't that you're genetically not gifted. It's the fact your training is not set up properly. You don't know how to train to increase muscle mass or whatever your goal may be. So why people take them? Several different reasons. But yes, one subsection is to increase their chances in sport. But I think a lot of people uh, just to look a bit better and aesthetics. So that, they're the, the benefits of it. But the risks and the, uh, the results of taking them far outweigh the benefits in terms of the negative aspects of steroids? Yeah, I think so. I think, like, if you're someone that's just literally taking it just to look a bit better, I think then the negatives do, because we don't know the long-term consequences. Like that, if I said, if you're in that kind of bodybuilding sphere where you've trained for a decade, now you're informed and you want to go on to that pro level where steroid use is pretty much mandatory, well, then that's fine. You're an adult, you're making your own decisions. But if you're a young guy, I think... It's a, a dark avenue to go down because, and even if you're someone, like chances are as a 19, 20, 21 year old, you haven't maxed out your genetic potential anyway. So if you're thinking long term, well, I'm going to go on them in a decade anyway, I may as well go now. When that decade is up, you've no smoking gun 
you know, if that is something you want to transition. And most guys, when you get into your late 20s and 30s, your priorities in life are very different than when you're 19, 20. At that stage, you're probably like, yeah, I, I that was a kind of, I was young and rash. I, I don't want to do it now. So I think just thinking in the long term. And even, again, my friend Alex, he had a very good point that a lot of guys go on them, but they've no exit plan. It's if you start steroids in your early 20s, what's your exit plan? If do you intend to take them until the day you die or no, no one ever thinks about getting out of the game Um, whether when they retire as an athlete, what do they do if they've abused steroids for 10, 20 years? Now, all of a sudden they're infertile, can't produce their own testosterone. Many people end up on TRT for the rest of their life because they just can't produce their own sex hormones anymore. So it's those type of things that come with long term chronic abuse that I think. And for me, the effect potential effects on cognition are the big things um, you don't know what it'll effect it'll have on your brain down the, the line folks you are listening into the real hub podcast in association with Leia healthcare with me carl henry this is a fascinating episode at insight i'm sitting here it's a bit like the donald o'shea episode just listening and i love it when, when we bring experts in who are really qualified in certain areas to talk about this kind of stuff because i can just sit back and always be a listener <laughs> and just let you chat away which is great um david nolan is, is joining us in studio today to chat all things um steroids i was chatting to a few people over the weekend parents um neighbors that i have and one of the things they asked me to discuss with you was what they can look out for Mm. in terms of they have children who are teenagers who are really going big like the gym has never been more popular as a culture it's all i've never seen anything like it's incredible um and their concerns are around that what can they look out for their changes in mood or changes in growth or what are the the, the, I suppose the symptoms like a friend or a parent or a partner even can look out for in someone who's just begun se- taking steroids and, and, and what's just the, the signs, I suppose. Yeah. So, again, you hear the kind of stereotypical look out for acne, look out for mood swings, all these things. Again, because of the lack of long term research, we don't know if these things actually occur and at what stage, how long into use they do occur. Like there's, we know that if someone is hereditary predisposed to going bald steroid use will rapidly increase that it'll happen at a younger age if it was going to happen anyway so i suppose in terms of if i was to advise someone a parent i wouldn't be looking for direct signs that oh they have acne or they're moody because you're dealing with teenagers and adolescents those things could crop up either way i suppose i would be looking for warning signs of behavior in terms of attitudes towards body image attitudes towards food um, like when someone makes that decision to jump onto steroids, they're more than likely coming from a place where they're already very preoccupied with their body image, preoccupied with their health and maybe obsessively slow. So body dysmorphia is starting to come in. So if you have a son or daughter, who all of a sudden they're getting very obsessed with the way they look. They are withdrawing from social situations that involve food, this kind of thing seem to be developing an unhealthy relationship with food. They're opting out of family meals and kind of cooking their own, eating very regimental, plain kind of diets and just developing an unhealthy relationship um, with food. They may be like, there's nothing wrong with a, a young athlete who wants to train a lot, but it's when kind of they start transitioning from a healthy sport and participation in physical activity to that unhealthy relationship. So that's kind of, they're starting to develop traits that down the line, if they go too far along the spectrum, they may start to transition and experiment with um, steroid use. Because don't forget, a lot of steroid users will perceive themselves as extremely healthy. They're like, well, 
I train, I eat well, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do recreational drugs, like say my friends are doing. So the steroids then, it's actually enhancing my health overall. It's allowing me to look good, build muscle mass, and they're not thinking of long-term potential consequences. So again, I'm probably not the best to sit here and advise parents what signs to look out for. But if I was to kind of, I suppose, if I was to conjecture what I think you should look out for, Mm -hmm. they would be the kind of warning signs I'd be looking for. Okay, great. In terms of the the future uh, testing, are the testers up to speed with what's out there? Are people finding way around the testing procedures in terms of in terms of um in terms of either cycling or masking mm. and stuff like that? In terms and not I suppose this is an elite performance mm. in many respects. Are the users far ahead of the because that was always the, yeah. the, the, the story that they're the way ahead as a user over the testers. Is that true? And that's I think still where you are. And again, this is what my friend Alex in the UK, his research is looking at these kind of things about how to test and the testing has got much more advanced in recent years and as you said before the athletes were ahead of the testers and we can see that we have instance from the 2008 and 2012 Olympics where athletes passed tests that time round because I think we could only retrospectively detect the metabolites three months. So if they had cycled off three months before the Games and weren't tested, then yes, they'd pass the test. But now the tests are a bit more advanced. We can track those metabolites six months after cycling off. So now when we've gone back and retested some of those samples, athletes who had previously passed have have now failed, and we uh, see some of those stories coming through. And again, they're looking at all different ways of testing, and what is coming more... um, popular in sport and more common is the building the athlete passport so kind of building up from when they begin in the sport taking biological samples and building up what that athlete's physiology looks like and instead of trying to find just one isolated instant or track a metabolite looking at biomarkers over time and seeing okay all of a sudden they trend differently than what we would expect from normal training um adaptations so Again, it's it's an interesting area. A lot of research being pumped in by WADA and the likes. Um, but it's an area where, again, when you've big money, big stakes, and you just go to the likes of Icarus, a great documentary. Oh, yeah, I saw that recently. Where you, you're looking at some of the advanced <laughs> systems people are using. When there are rules, there'll always be people trying their best to get around those rules. I'm going to put steroids to one side for a minute because we've okay. chatted for a good 20 <laughs> minutes about it. Um how did you get, has your own interest always been in sport, in, in powerlifting, or, what, or how, and how did you get into that? Yeah, so I suppose my own background coming up, I was stereotypical, played football, uh, involved a bit in martial arts, then pursued uh, undergraduate in sport and exercise sciences from the University of Limerick. During that time, I was always kind of the guy that I was into sports, but I enjoyed the S&C side a bit more than maybe the sport itself. So then I transitioned into uh, drug-free powerlifting with the Irish Powerlifting Federation and compete in that um, now. And then after I finished up my undergrad, went to UCD for, for a while, worked as a nutrition researcher there, and now I've transitioned across as a PhD researcher in DCU. You love it? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, as you probably can tell, uh, passionate about anything got to do with sports science and human say, performance. Well, you came highly recommended from Dominic Mandelli, so <laughs> anyone who comes recommended from Dom is uh, is very passionate about what they do, that's for sure. Um and in terms of powerlifting, chat, chat us uh, through how those events work and, and in terms of the kind of weights that, 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 have, been, that have been lifted. Yeah, like powerlifting, it's quite a grown sport in Ireland. Um, raw powerlifting, drug-free powerlifting, especially what's great to see, it's great rise in both male and female participation. So I compete in the Irish Powerlifting Federation. It's the drug-tested 
federation um, in terms of how it works powerlifting is a sport where you have the squat the bench press and the deadlift you get three attempts at each you start off three attempts at your squat three attempts at your de- or bench press and then three attempts at the deadlift your best attempt from each of those lifts is combined into what we call a total and then that total score it's a weight category sport the person with the highest lift total load lifted in each um, weight class wins essentially um, in Ireland Again, it's, it, it's, as I said, a growing sport and we're starting to compete well on international stage. Um, and some of the, like, in terms of what's interesting is people, like when we pit ourselves and we compare ourselves to others, that's done in a very context-specific thing. Like if I go into a certain gym as a powerlifter now, I, compared to the average person or the average gym goer, I'm quite a good bit stronger than them. <laughs> so Slightly. Slightly. So... <laughs> Say, for example, currently my best competition lifts are uh, 222.5 kilogram squat, 132.5 kilogram uh, bench press and a 245 kilogram deadlift. Now, if I go into any commercial gym around the country and I've seen it, I load up and start squatting anywhere close to 200 kilos in any gym, you get people stop and looking and very impressed. And usually I get accused of being on steroids when I'm in those (laughs) types of places. But in terms of the Irish powerlifting context, that's middle of the road at best. Really? Yeah, middle of the road at best in terms of the overall. Like some of the loads being lifted are uh, phenomenal. I remember one time we have a lifter from Cork, Barry Piggott, holds the world record in the bench press now in the 105 kilo class. But I remember we were training for a meet about maybe a year and a half ago. I was down in Cork lifting in the gym down there and... I was working up to a RPE 8 single on the squat. And I remember I squatted 210 and it was tough enough. I was like, okay, that's about it. And then I look over in the corner and here's Barry bench pressing 210 for a triple. <laughs> <laughs> so well, he's doing it for three on bench. And I'd say that's the kind of strength that some of these guys... 210 kilos. Yeah. What's, um, what's the record? I think at the moment, I'm up for correction. I think he's about 235 is his bench press at the moment. Again, it's in around there. I'm up for correction. Um, but yeah, that's... It's and it's, it's phenomenal. You've guys like this walking around Ireland, and people ha- have no idea. Like it is, the, it is. But the sport is growing in Ireland, and it's it's great to see. And even across the demographics, we've a lot of masters lifters, people in their fifties, sixties, getting into it now. So we know that preserving muscle mass and strength as we age is is crucial in terms of longevity, um, reducing all cause mortality, and improving quality of life as people age. So. I think the message needs to change that people need to resist and strain as much as possible. And how did you get into pr- putting your own podcast together? Um, I suppose that started when Synapse Performance started um, while I was in my undergrad, just as a little kind of Facebook page was putting out sports science content. And my aim was to aim it towards sports science students. But the problem was I started interpreting research papers, putting them summaries and infographics up. And all of a sudden, people who were liking the page were researchers themselves, lecturers in college. None of the students came in and liked it. So all of a sudden, I was at um, kind of that's who they're recruiting in. And like that, eventually was asked to do a bit of public speaking, a bit of cons- consulting and built a business then from that. In terms of the podcast, I was always a fan of podcasts. Um, Danny Lennon, a friend Sigma, of mine, yeah. Sigma, yeah, he always ha- he has probably the best Apart from your own, maybe. <laughs> My ego's not that big. His podcast is absolutely fabulous. The, and the, we're going to have him on at some stage. In the podcast world, Danny's pretty much the OG. He's one of the best there is. So he had the podcast. And I remember humming and hawing about getting my own. And then 
my girlfriend Isha just one day bought a microphone. She's like, just go do it. You know what I mean? So pull the trigger. Again, probably a bit insecure at that stage. And if I go back and listen to my first few episodes, I sound like an absolute robot in terms of obviously I have a nice rural accent. So I'm trying to enunciate every word and <laughs> it just doesn't sound natural. But like that, I was lucky enough to get a few high profile guests on mm-hmm. at the start. We're kind enough to give up their time. And once you have a few kind of high profile guys, that builds credibility. And from there, it's just grown since then. And around the podcast became the brand Synapse then performance. Yeah. So people want to find out more about you, mm. about the brand. Uh, where can they find out? Where can they follow you? So in terms of the website, if you're looking for me, it's synapseperformance.ie. On social media is at Synapse Performance. On Instagram, you'll find that on Facebook or my personal page, David Nolan on Facebook and at David underscore Synapse on Twitter and message me through any of my socials or david at synapseperformance.ie as an email. David Nolan, thank you so much for joining us on the Real Health Podcast today. Absolute pleasure. Folks, I do think it's important to state in the uh, interest of balance off the back of the RT Investigates program in February 2019, we did put a call out through our social media channels for um, a steroid user to come on the podcast. We would give them a platform. They could have an open discussion that we wouldn't edit and that we would put out to our listeners um, with the doctor as well. Uh, we did have someone who had agreed to do it and then the very last minute um, over the course of uh, weeks pulled out and refused to respond to our queries if you're listening in and you are a steroid user and would like to come on and defend um, use of steroids uh, with a doctor um, on the podcast do let us know and get in touch as a platform we are very non-biased we our job here is to educate our listeners in terms of different aspects of health steroids is a really really big one we i'm so passionate to have someone on to talk about it and really in a very relaxed way so if you're using them and you want to come on and defend your use or tell us all about that story or your usage of them do get in touch and let us know it's real health at independent.ie or dm me on instagram or twitter it's at carl henry pt and we will very happily give you the same platform that i've given david to come in and chat to us today you're more than welcome just let us know folks above all have a wonderful week take the 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 snippets and the education from the podcast and having guests like david in um to give us this kind of information use it spread it talk about it that's what health is all about the more we can talk about it the more we'll improve the health of ourselves of our friends of our our families and of the nation as a whole as ever we will be back next week have a wonderful week and uh, we'll see you again soon slong of Leia Healthcare. It's good to live. Proud sponsor of the Real Health Podcast with Carl Henry.